We're in the middle of a series called Love and Marriage. This is actually the very last week of Love and Marriage series. So if you're coming today for the first time, you're going to catch the tail end of this. We have the rest of it on the web if you want to check it out. Um, but it's been a real blessing to those of us who've been able to experience what God's Word has to say about how we're to love each other and, um, and the, uh, how that grows into marriage and, and, and one manifestation of love. I guess I would say, is marriage. Um, this week, I was really disappointed because I, you know, we, every week we give these date packets out. And, uh, and this week, I was disappointed because I, I checked the website, and there was no one, no one had submitted a great date story for the, the five days, one date. Um, it was called Five Days, One Date, A World of Difference. And I was so sad. And I was like, well, you know, this, this stinks because we said every week, you know, someone. And at the last minute, can you believe it? Like right under the wire, someone got on the website and submitted their great date story. And it's someone that we really want to talk to today. And so I'm going to ask, and I don't see, I don't see Nathan. I'm going to ask Jennifer Cordy to come up here, girl. At 9.15 last night, whenever all good Christians were watching the Cardinals win the baseball game. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> This whole cardinal stuff is a little overrated for me. <laughs> it's like watching paint dry. I just can't handle it. <laughs> paint dry. All right. Father God, forgive me. Okay. Hey, check it out. So grab this microphone because I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, first of all, I, I do want to say that you did at 9.15. By the way, you hate doing this, don't you, being up here in front of everybody? I do. Awesome. Love it. Love it. All right. So uh, anyway, you, you submitted your great date story and you said five, date, five days. Wow. And you, I think maybe, was she the only one that did that five days date? I told you, we failed. I didn't failed. do it last week. We did it two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. I know it's confusing because last right. week was the audio date. I know. We're a week behind than our. Okay. There'll be one more, by the way. One more. If you do the audio date, submit your stories this week because next week we're our last, our last time that we're going to. Anyway, I want to say this to you. Your next great date is on us because you played the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and Nathan. So give her five. Give her clap. No, wait, wait, wait. The other reason I was glad you won is because I wanted to hear a little, little report mm -hmm. on the marriage conference because I, I didn't get to go. I think it went great. We, um, we had 55 couples who signed up to go, and I think five of them didn't get to come for whatever reason, four or five. Um, I heard all great feedback. I had some people that just said thank you for mm -hmm. us, for all bringing it here. Um, Jill actually made a comment that the team that we had who put this together, she said that she could tell that it went smoothly and everybody did what they were supposed to do. It was wonderful. Praise it was a God. great weekend. So I thought it was good and I've gotten great feedback. So yeah. yeah. Praise God. We can clap for that now. Check it out. The, the, you know, I was just so encouraged. We didn't get to go because of Chris's situation, but right. I was so encouraged because you, I, no matter what, Jennifer, whenever you sit there and you think, I remember you said, God was calling you to do this. And there was a lot of doubt along the way. Like well, some... I'm not good at this type of stuff. <laughs> I disagree. Wait a minute. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> 50 couples mm -hmm. were working on their marriage this weekend because you followed through. Yes. And I just want to say praise God for that. Praise God for that. All right. Nathan didn't get to hear, but you guys won the great date challenge this week. You get, your next date is on Family Bible Church. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. They were, they were a little horrified that I was you know, on the internet while you were watching the Cardinal game. <laughs> <laughs>
She actually said today, she's like, I don't know why everybody's so excited about the Cardinals. Like, okay. <laughs> I said, Sorry. Hey, 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 remember we talked about completing one another? Okay. So uh, the last thing is, did you guys plan the wardrobe today? Because that's really cute. No. It's just the cutest thing ever. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Cordy's. Matching outfits happen accidentally. That's awesome. All right. Well, praise God. Well, we do want to be excited about that stuff, and we want to celebrate what God is doing in our marriage. You know, Hebrews says that marriage should be uh, respected, celebrated by everyone, and I hope we can get on board with that. I know that um, for folks who've been through some things in life, you, you think, oh, it's been tough, or things that worked out like I'd planned, but we still can honor marriages and celebrate what God is doing through marriage as a way to encourage one another to continue continue the work that he's doing in our lives to that. So today we're going to wrap up in our final week here in the sermon series, uh, Love and Marriage. And, and um, we're going to uh, talk specifically about kind of br- bring everything to a completion or to, to, the, uh, to the end, as it were, okay? And um, one, of my, one of my favorite uh, Proverbs, I guess a favorite, you know, there's, there's, there are certain scriptures that sticks in your mind. I don't know if you had that happen. There's certain scripture that God will reveal to you and he'll show you again and show you again. And when that happens, we should be paying attention. Uh, and one of the Proverbs that's been stuck in my mind for a while is, uh, it, it reads like this. It says, um, without vision, the people perish, right? Without vision, the people perish. But the one who, who, loves the, who, who looks upon the law is blessed. And, uh, and that's a beautiful word uh, about, and actually, a beautiful word about having some kind of a long-term understanding about what we're called to do in life. So much of what we've read recently from the Apostle Paul has been about growing into maturity. Paul always says, grow into all maturity, um, no longer being tossed back and forth by the waves of teachings of men, that we could be grounded in who God says that we are. And, and I know, here's what's funny, you know, because where, where I sit, um, and in my own life too, the chaos of life comes in and it tries and it threatens um, to disrupt what God is calling us to do. But if you and I are rooted in God's word and rooted in his love for us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, if we're rooted in the spirit living within us, we can be stable, like kind of have this underlying bedrock that brings us through storms to the other side. And that's what I believe that, that vision that Proverbs talks about. Another way that's translated is revelation. It means a word from God, which is why the proverb writer goes on to say, those who reflect or look upon the law are blessed, meaning what God has said how we're to live and how we're to be. So uh, I just want to kind of start off today by talking about when we're talking about the uh, a marriage, we want to have a vision for what God is going to be doing in and through our marriage long term, long term, okay? So please join me in prayer as we open the word of God today, and we're going to kind of walk through this last uh, bit today together. Father God, we've come here today to hear from you, not man's wisdom, not my wisdom, not some concocted ideas that we have about what should be right, but Father, rather we're going to lay all of our presuppositions, all of our uh, assumptions about marriage down, and we want to hear what you are doing in and through us as husband and wife, as men and women, as those who are called to completeness in our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And so today, we ask for a special um, presence of your spirit, that we could understand the word that you inspired, that you spoke, Father. We, we claim that we cannot, on our own, understand even, even a, a a small piece of scripture. But today, if you, as one who wrote it, would also inspire us to see it, to hear it, to apply it to our lives, it will transform us. And we believe that. And so today we ask that you would do that, that we could, as much as we're able, lay down all of our uh, expectations and only wait upon you. 
hearing your word today. Give us uh, that kind of patience, that kind of presence, Father, and we will give you glory and praise for the work you continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's been a lot of talk about that kind of idea of vision or vision statement. As a matter of fact, I recently saw someone who was saying that every person should have a vision statement for their life. And I, I think it gets a little, uh, a little much, but I do want to talk more about the idea of what God is doing in and among us, right? So rather than having my own great ideas about what I would like to have God do, I could just be seeing what God is already doing and joining in the work. You know, we live in a society where we don't have a lot of patience for the end result of things. I know it's kind of cliche almost now at this point to say things like we're in a microwave society, we're in instant access, you know, we don't have time to go to the video store anymore because it has to be streaming online for us to watch it, you know. I mean, there is no barrier anymore for our instant gratification, and we live in this way, and yet there's something about Scripture, and we talk about this all the time, where God has been revealing truth to humans for a long time. I mean, for so long that it would boggle our minds to really try to comprehend the truth of how long he's been revealing uh, himself to us. And, and in our culture where we're constantly saturated with this, this instantaneous result, where we are indeed cast back and forth by every wind of change, if we can get a real grounding in what God has said about who we are and what he's calling us to be, it would change everything. And that would also apply uh, to our marriages. I've been challenging you for the last few weeks to consider things like this. If things aren't as you hope they would be in your marriage, that you would ask God, what are you doing in my marriage? What is your real purpose for my marriage is a great question to ask. Rather than always assuming that we're the only people involved in the relationship, if we invite Jesus Christ in, if we invite God to come in and speak, we could ask him the question, what are you doing in our marriage. So the kind of the big concept we want to talk about today is this. When we're thinking about our marriage, we want to begin with the end in mind, okay? That's kind of the big overarching principle about today's, you know, we've been talking about communication, we've talked about sex, we've talked about uh, other, other things as well in the series, but today we're talking about really getting a vision for what God has, is calling us to in our marriage. We even talked early on, if you recall, about the limitation of our marriage, how it's limited by death, you know, that, that even this is for a while, and eternity with God is our final destination. And so in this way, we even understand that this is limited. And yet, for most of our marriages, we don't even start with this kind of an idea about the end, even the end of our lives here on earth. For too many of us, it's about the right now. It's about, it's been a year and it's not going great. I have a question for you. Do you have a vision for your marriage? And this is, applies whether you're married yet or not. I mean, if you're married and you don't want to be married, you know, that's great. If you're, I mean, if you're not, no, let me say it again. <laughs> All right, check it out. If, if you're not married yet and you don't want to be married, that's great, okay? Um, if you're married now, and, and do you have a vision for where you're going? Uh, if you want to be married in the future, do you have a vision for what you want your marriage to be? We talked before about how if you're out and you, you know, there are some young men and some young women who want to be married so badly, and two things that there's a big mistake is that they act like God doesn't care about that, and then they act like um, that uh, it's up to them what, what happens. But do you have a... a, a yeah, it's up to them what happens. And, but do you have a vision for what God is going to do through your marriage? Do you have that kind of an idea? For those of you who are married, I want to ask, do you have a vision for where your marriage is going to be in a year or in five years? Do you have a picture in your mind of what your marriage should look like after 15 years or 25 years? Do you have a picture in your mind of your marriage at 50 years? See, I, I'm not sure if you have that in your life. 
I know that for many of us that got married young, it was, it was so, you know, everything was so kind of white hot, like passion, you know, crazy. I mean, I was a child of the 80s, and we had some, some of that, that long-haired rock, you know, ballad, you know what I mean? And man, we would just get sucked in. We were so passionate about things. And there were so many people that had such a short-term vision for what success in love and marriage looked like. I just want to share a brief story. I, I don't claim any expertise on this, but I remember so clearly whenever I met Chris, I, I, I loved her, and she's beautiful. I mean, she's beautiful, and I was so excited. I mean, I, she was so beautiful, I couldn't believe she actually liked me, okay? And that's the God's honest truth. I'm like, oh, you know? I mean, I felt like God gave me this treasure. You know, that's what actually it says, treat her as the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean she's weaker. It means she's beautiful. She's just like fine China. But you know what God did in my heart? And I praise him for this because I wasn't even yet a believer in Jesus. But he gave me this idea that I didn't want to love her when she was only like this. But I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to, I had this idea that I wanted to be old with her. Like, I wanted to be with her whenever she wasn't attractive anymore. I wanted to be with her whenever there was, like, you know, all the, I'm serious. Like, I mean, you guys, like, all the, you know, have you seen old people who are together, like, really, really, and everything starts to sag. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like God starts, you know, taking the air pump out, you know. You know what I mean? I, that my grandpa always swore that he literally got shorter every year, you know. I, I actually believe that was true. I feel that now with my boys. I'm getting shorter every year. But I really had this vision, and I thank God for it, and I'm only saying it because that I wanted to be there as a young man. You know what I'm saying? 22 years old. Huh, 20, you know, as long as you're hot, as long as you're attractive. I and mean, we see people like this in our lives, don't we? They're constantly chasing the youth, you know, the fountain of youth, the, that, that, the rainbow, that thing that keeps moving away. They're going to eternally be young. I want to grow old with grace. I want to have a great marriage. And I want to, by the grace of God, be able to sit with my aging wife and think she is more beautiful now than ever. You know what Proverbs 31 says? Beauty is fading. But a woman who loves the Lord is gorgeous forever. I mean, there's this thing about just awesomeness in our husband or our wife. We don't live in a culture that respects that. We absolutely don't. And so today I want to encourage you, if you don't yet have a vision for the end of your marriage, I hope you would get, and that's not like the end, like it's, you know, we're going to end it next year, <laughs> you know, but the, the true God-ordained end of your marriage, I, I would hope that today maybe you would consider for the first time, what is God doing in your life? Not now, not next year, but at the end of your life, how will you be? Where will you be? You know, this is kind of funny because I think one of the, one of the folks that got this right was Meatloaf. At our, at our wedding, I'll tell you a little embarrassing story, but at our wedding, we did the whole Paradise by the Dashboard Lights lip sync thing. Now, some of you guys are like, what? You know, doing Paradise? Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm telling you, I'm old, but that's all right, because we sang this song. But here's the thing. It was funny, because he, 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 it's all this tension about love and relationship and about sex, and she's saying, nope, nope, and he's going, come on, baby. She's going, nope. She's basically saying, you know, if you, if you want it, you better put a ring on it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, our day's version of that. Um, and, and, and here's my favorite quote from that, that song, and it's the, where it all comes apart, right? Because you're there, and you make the decision to get married. And then he says, and now I'm praying for the end of time. <laughs> that's such an awesome song, because that's where we get. Like, we're like, oh, what did we do? You know, it's so beautiful, because God has a plan to where we're going to end up. And I think he, they got this right, that we're praying for the end of time. That's our goal. That's our aspiration. Praise God when he gives us a vision for the end. 
And so anyway, today I want to encourage you to begin with the end in mind. If you're not yet married, begin with the end in mind. If you are married, I would encourage you to begin with the end in mind. I'm going to tell you three reasons why I think it's important to begin with the end in mind. And I'm going to use some scripture today, and uh, we'll talk through a few things here. But check this out. God, God, is, pl- God is playing a long game. You know, like we are so temporarily, we're so temporal, we're so immediate gratification, and God isn't necessarily interested in making your tomorrow better. He's not necessarily interested in alleviating your pain or your suffering, and that's hard to hear. He's interested in your discipleship and your transformation into the likeness of his son and our savior. And if you don't recall that when, when we last saw Jesus before resurrection, his likeness and his, his son and his, our savior Jesus was nailed to the cross. You'll recall that Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, take this cup from me. And then he said, but not my will, but your will be done. I, I think we live in a culture where we think God's only job is to make me happy. His only job is to satisfy me. But see, God is playing the long game. He is much more interested in saving your soul than helping your tomorrow be easy. I, I, I want to share with you. So the first point is this, that, that beginning with end in mind gives us a God-oriented perspective. It gives us a God-oriented perspective. I want to remind you that we started this, this series on love and marriage in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2. And, it, and this is what the word says. Um, it says, Adam says this. Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united or cleave to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. And this is God's plan from the beginning. And, and I'll remind you, in the middle of the Bible, we hear this story. We have this letter from Paul where he says this. He says, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Remember that verse? Giving himself up for her. That's a high calling of marriage. And then I'm going to share with you this, this, this verse from Revelation because I want you to see. Because here's God's story. God's story starts in the garden with this couple. And in the middle of the story, we have Paul exhorting us to love one another as Christ loved the church. We have the, the, the cross of Christ redeeming us. And here is the end of the story. I want you to hear this. Um, in, in chapter 21 of Revelation is where I'm going to share from. Just a few verses. Listen to this. It says, and then, this is the John, he says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Listen to this. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You see? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne then said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write these down because my words are trustworthy and true. You see, he starts in the garden and the word ends in a city. And, and, and if you don't see the big story of what God is doing, you'll miss it. And you'll think it's all about this middle time. It's about God right now satisfying me. But there's this huge story arc in the scriptures where God starts with a couple in the garden. He ends with his people in the city and they're his bride and he loves them and he's redeemed them. He's restored them. And this is our call. You see, God has a long-term view of our relationships. 
So today I'm going to ask you to open, to look at this a little bit, the book of Romans. We're going to look at Romans 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, I hope you'll bring one from now on. Uh, we have them at the end of the rows. You can grab one. It's important to be looking at Scripture uh, together. So I'd encourage you to look at it, uh, chapter 8, verse 18. This is Paul. By the way, I'm going to throw down three scriptures today with you, and I want you to understand something, that we cannot any longer treat our marriage as if it's not part of our discipleship in Jesus Christ. No matter where we are in the marriage continuum, we can no longer act as if God doesn't know what he's doing in our marriages. And so the scripture we're going to hear today is Paul writing to the church, and we're going to apply these to our our marriages and to our, our love life. Verse 18 reads this way. Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth, worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, listen, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom as children of God. I want to give you a little synopsis of what what the word says there. He's saying that whatever you're going through right now, I'll say that again, whatever you're going through right now, Paul says, is nothing compared to the incomprehensible glory that we're being called to in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we are so stuck in where we're at. I want you to see something else it says here. In verse 20, he says, creation was not subjected to our frustration by our own choice, but it was the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that we could be liberated from our bondage and decay and brought forth in glorious freedom in our God. That's a good word. It means in our marriages, no matter what's going on, in our, in our single life, no matter what's going on, in our personal relationships, no matter what's going on, we can understand that the The current suffering is nothing compared to what God's calling us to if we're faithful as we walk through this. Why? Who's doing it? I want you to see that the scripture says that God is doing it, that God is doing this work in you, that you could become fully liberated from bondage and decay. See, he's playing the long game. Read on with me in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up to this present time, not only so, but... But we ourselves, who are are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. I want you to, you know, we always talk about Paul like, you know, Paul didn't have any. Paul had a lot of real suffering. I mean, he knew suffering like maybe many of us never will or never do. Um, He really knew what it meant uh, to be suffering. And yet... He says here that this is only the beginning of our birth. Now, check it out. I want you to see what he says. We're the first fruit of the Spirit, but listen, we've grown inwardly, and I love this, as we wait for our adoptions as sons. In other words, Paul himself, right, the great apostle Paul, he's like, we're not there yet, you know? He he admits himself, we're not there yet. So we still long and we yearn. I want to point that out to you because check it out. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Listen to what he says in verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. What? The hope of redemption. I told you about the image of the Son and our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. The last time we saw him in his earthly form was whenever he was on the cross. And yet we saw him resurrected. Our hope is not ending in the cross. And this is what the word says. In this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
I'll remind you that many of you had marriage ceremonies where you said love is patient. Love is kind. You see, if we have a hopeful expectation about what God is doing in our marriage, if we have a hopeful expectation, if we are not distraught and despondent and hopeless as followers of Jesus, but we can say we're going to get there. We're going to get there with him. Why? Because he is able. You see? Not because you're going to make it happen. Not because you're going to finally get the answers right. But Jesus Christ, we're going to talk about this a little later, Jesus Christ has staked a claim in you, and we will get there, and that is our hope, is in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Hope that is seen, I love that verse, is no hope at all. Too many of us stand and we want to test God. We want to ask him, you know, well, you know, uh, show, me, show me where you're working or, you know, uh, right now I have to have an answer to this. And, and I believe that our call is to trust him and to expect his goodness for us in every way in our lives. And I don't think we often do that. I think we often, I mean, even myself, you know, I mean, and I'm not saying I'm better, but I'm just so inside out on this journey because even I go, I go, God, I find myself in my prayer time realizing I gave Jesus my list of things to do. Do you find that about yourself? Do you ever come to the end of a prayer and you realize you just gave God marching orders? That's wrong. Instead, Paul says, we hope for the coming resurrection and we wait patiently for God to provide it. We wait patiently for the end that God has in mind. Beginning within the mind gives us a God-oriented perspective. Now, I would also, another way you can say it is God-centered perspective, a God um, view of, of our lives that's completely revolving around God as the core of our call and our purpose. This does some things, you see, because it removes so much of the humanity from our situation. It removes so much of our, our blaming one another for how things aren't the way they should be. You know, because if God's in the center, well, you've got to point at God to get to the other person. If God's in our relationship, I have to understand that God is working here before I can blame you or if for anything. It changes everything to have a God-oriented, a God-centered view of our life and our marriage. And I hope that that becomes part of seeing, you know, the long, the long view of our marriage, keeping the end in mind. I want to share a, a verse with you. This is from the Apostle Paul as well, and it's from the book of Philippians. And this is what it says. It says, and I love this verse as well. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul, written to the church in Philippi. You know, he's like, he's like, I'm pressing on to run, I'm running the race. You hear this language from Paul. I'm continuing the fight. And, and I'm not sure why, again, I'll say that we divorce or we separate our married life from our disciple life as if God is over here discipling us and our marriage is over here and God has nothing to say about our marriage. But you or I, when we get into those times, we can hear the words of Paul and we can say, I'm pressing on toward the goal, the final result that God wants for us. Problem is, for a lot of us, we think we know what that is already, and we start to demand that other people conform. We talked about this idea of control. Here's what it means. It means laying down your life for one another. I mean, straight up laying it down. Believing so strongly that God is in charge that you don't have to control anyone else to bring about God's, God's glory. Does that make sense? 
believing so strongly that God is in charge, you don't have to manipulate your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your friends to get your way. Why? Because God is in charge. You laid down your life for your friends. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's his very purpose, his very uh, plan for our life. I hope you see this all coming together, that we have a plan, a future, because God has ordained our marriages. That's a beautiful thing. The second point I want to make today is this. Beginning with the end in mind allows uh, perseverance in hard times. It allows perseverance in hard times. We're going to hear another word from Paul, and this is going to be uh, from the second uh, letter to the Corinthians. And you can turn there as well with me. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 18. I'm just going to read through here. And, and again, this is such a beautiful passage, and I hope you're engaging in the Word of God in your private life. I hope you're spending time reading the Word and praying and asking God to teach you, teach you what He has written. This is what the Word says. Therefore, Paul says, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, and I would say you could substitute out the word ministry with marriage. It's not that way in Greek, but I'm saying you can, you can thank God for whatever it is you have. Therefore, he says, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. Listen to what he's saying. We do not use deception. We do not distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the, tru the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, is veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, listen, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves only as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made the light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I want to stop just one second, because, you know, we, we, we read that, and it's like, uh, maybe you're like me, I don't know, but you think, okay, this is great church talk, but how does, it, how does it really work out? I want you to see a couple things in verse 2. He says this, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We talked last week about needing to speak the truth in love. He goes on to say that we live plainly in front of all men, so they might see how we live, Right? There's this idea that we're really, really living our lives honestly as, as husband and wife, as father and mother, as son and daughter. That we're honest, being honest to God about who we are. We do not use deception, he says, nor do we distort, distort the word of God. And this has become one of my kind of points of contention with how we read scripture sometimes because we'll take our favorite things and we'll use them to hit people with, right? But scripture is first meant to be applied to us as followers of Jesus Christ. The first word we have to hear is a word from God to, to you and to me. And so, um, so we, we, we don't distort the word of God, rather, but we conform to it. Now check it out. Read with me in verse 7. And this is beautiful. But we have our treasure, right? What? The treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. What do jars of clay do? They break, don't they? You know, I heard somebody say one time, like, you don't really know what's inside until stuff starts to go wrong, right? 
I mean, there could be this like beautiful thing sitting on a shelf. It's perfect, but you don't know what's inside of it until it cracks open and the inside runs out. We talked last week about having a heart that's filled with the Spirit of God and how it's the overflow of the mouth the heart speaks. And here's what he says. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that it that this all-surpassing power has come from God and not from us. That means whenever we have breaks in our relationships, and they will happen, when the strain and stress comes and there's like, that what should pour forth should be grace. It, it should be Christ-like. It should be lovely. Because the damage will surely come. There are certainly outward pressures that will come in. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, Paul says, and he knew what it meant to be broken, to show that this all-surpassing power has come from God and not from ourselves. Listen to this next verse. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body also. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Here's something really cool, that last verse. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. You know, there's something about people who have beautiful marriages that they become life-giving. People who have God-oriented marriages, the marriage becomes life-giving to people around it. He says, we experience death, but you experience life. It's a beautiful word. I'm not sure if you've known people like that. And I don't just mean, you know, that, that uh, it's life-giving in, in the way that God blesses us with children. I don't even mean that it's just life-giving for the children in that marriage. But I hope you understand that, that your marriage will be a blessing to your children. We've encouraged you all to take a, a date night every week for the last few weeks and go out and, and have a date with your wife. But you know, that'll be a great blessing to your kids if you would do that. If our children could see us truly love one another in the way that Christ loved his church, that'd be a huge blessing to your children. Some of us say, oh, we, we can't leave the kids alone. We can't, we can't do that to our kids. You can't not. You have to. He says, we experience death that others might experience life. And, and uh, that's one of those prayers that we can have for our marriage, that it become life-giving institutions. That it is, and then the two are one flesh, you see, and it's the discipleship process that we have. All of a sudden, we're bound together that God has ordained in our life that the discipleship process is no longer about me. It's about us. It's about her and I. It's about him and I becoming followers of Jesus Christ. There are instructions, by the way, in the word if you're married to an unbeliever. So don't think that you, you know, that, well, I'm hopeless because my husband or my wife doesn't believe there are other places in Scripture where, he, where Paul writes exactly how we're to deal with a spouse who's unbelieving. But listen, God has bound you together. And he can do amazing things, amazing things, if we only let him in our marriages. 
So he says, death is working us, but life is at work in you. Check it out. I love this image that we're pressed in on every side because I'm just telling you, there are times that we go through these really hard trials. And uh, we've always, I've always heard, and I've always said actually to people as well, that, that times of crisis in our life, times of pressing in, of crushing, will either drive us together or will, will drive us apart like a wedge. And when we have to ask God to, be, to, to have an understanding that, that um, having a long-term vision for our marriage will, make us, will help us to persevere in the times of trial. We're called to be faithful through those times together. It's really funny to say this because when we take vows, they say it all in there, don't they? We just don't really believe it's going to happen to us. You know, we say some parts louder, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. You know what I mean? We don't really want to say the other half of that equation. We're called to have a God-oriented view, a long-term view of, of our marriage, and therefore we can endure the hard times. I'll remind you, too, I'm talking about perseverance here and not just endurance. Perseverance. Perseverance is a beautiful word because it has to do with this overcoming you see, later in that book of Romans read earlier, Paul goes on to one of the most famous passages found in Romans where he says, we are what? More than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, it's not just enough that we've suffered through it, but we've been overcomers through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is true for our marriages as well. We persevere in hard times. We don't understand when they come, but we see our way through them. And on the backside, we find ourselves more committed, more loving, a lot of times more broken, but more ready to serve and love others. So we're going to move on, but I would encourage you, that if, you if you're having a hard time, you know, I'll say this specifically, if you're having a hard time sticking it out in your marriage, I'd encourage you to read Romans 8 in its entirety. Just read through there and, and, and ask God, how does this apply to a marriage, the most intimate relationship we're going to have on earth? How does it apply in our marriage? All right. The third thing we're going to talk about today is this. Beginning with end in mind redefines winning and losing. It redefines winning and losing. You may have heard it said before that too often we get so hung up in the battle that we forget about the war. Have you ever heard that before? You can, you can get so hung up in, in, um, in, in, in one particular thing that, that you, you miss the whole big picture. A lot of you were watching the Cardinal game last night, and I know that uh, for those who weren't engaged, I apologize, but just for one second, I was really amazed because one of the struggles of the game was this. They, the, the, the coaches were having to use up all their resources in early innings, right, with their pitching staff. And I'm not a baseball guy, but I did get this much out of it. And they were concerned, could they go the distance? Could they have enough to make it through, you see? Because what they could end up doing, if they're not careful as a manager, is they could use all their resources, all everything, in this one inning early in the game and then not be able to finish the game, right? Win the battle, but lose the war. Win the inning, but lose the game. You see this all the time in other sports as well. I think about, uh, you know, stock car racing. I mean, you think about that. Check this out. Let's talk about marriage for a minute. How does this work in marriage? How, how, can we, how can we win the battle and lose the war? I'll tell you, one way that I do it all the time is, is I have to be right. Do you have to be right? I know some of you in this room have to be right. <laughs> I have to be right. And I'll get so hung up on being right that I'll end up proving I'm right and I will completely have lost. You know what I mean? 
Like, we'll, we'll be having a conversation, and I'll get hung up on this. Someone said this week to me, they said, they said um, you know, the Bible never commands us to be right. It commands us to love. What? And I can hit me. That's true. In our marriages, we can get hung up, and we've seen it happen before, where you're in a conversation. Actually, it's funny, because I always call them discussions, and Chris calls them arguments. Um, <laughs> that's true. But, you know, you get in there, and at first, it's kinda, you're kind of coming in, and everything's going pretty well for you, and then all of a sudden, you start to take your position, and you're not going to give any ground anymore, and you become so convinced that you have to prove your point that you're going to win at all, at all costs. Have you done this? And you walk out for a second, and you're like, yes! And then you're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Because you know you've done something. You've actually failed. You've actually failed. Having a long-term view of our marriages redefines winning and losing. In a situation like that, it can, the Holy Spirit of God can intervene, and we can actually go, you know what? I'm not going to try to win this argument, because I'm trying to win the war. And I don't mean like my way. I can come back to that. I mean to have God's plan for what he's doing in our life and in our marriages. But we can all do this. We can win the battle and lose the war. Check it out. I'm going to read with you in, uh, in Philippians. Read with you in Philippians. I'm going to pull it up here so you can grab it too. Philippians chapter 3, a few verses. We'll read 14 of these verses. We heard one of them earlier. I love the uh, imagery of Paul running the race. But I want to pick up here in verse 7. This is what the, the letter to Philippi records. Paul says these things. But whatever I, was to my profit, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness, listen, of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them all trash, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ, listen, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him unto death so that somehow, what a great word, we could attain the resurrection from the dead. Then he goes on. Not that I have already obtained all these things or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. That means at least try to apply what we've already learned. 17, join with the others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who are living according to the pattern that we have given you. For as often as I have told you before, and now I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be made like his glorious body. You see, Paul has this vision for what it means to win. 
And, and I want us to catch a little bit of that for our marriages because we can look, you know, I've had someone, uh, um, uh, someone say to me one time, they said, you know, well, you know what, our marriage is fine. We never fight. I'm not sure not fighting is a sign of a healthy marriage, right? Um, there's this idea that God is doing something in us and it completely redefines what it means to be a winner or a loser. It redefines our, our goal, Jesus does. And in our life, we can be like Paul and we can say, you know what? All these things I count as rubbish that I might attain to the fullness of the measure of Christ. If we can get that kind of a vision for our marriages, we will really be on the path to his kingdom. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So all this stuff, I'm not sure if it's connecting with you today, but I hope we can begin to understand that it's much more than a piece of paper, that it's much more than a promise that you made, and that God is going to do much more through it if you would only allow him in to cause you to become a disciple, a more full disciple of Jesus Christ. I will say again to those who are, uh, who are not currently married, this doesn't leave you out because in everything I've said applies to you as individuals as well. It applies to each of us, but I want us to see that it also applies to us as married couples. That Jesus and his gospel redefines what it means to be winning and losing. As a matter of fact, and I'll close with this, Jesus himself said these words. In the gospel of Mark, This is what he said. I'm going to read a little more than what's up there, so give me one second. Jesus said these words to his, his disciples. If anyone should come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. And here's the question. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And I'm just a little afraid that as followers, you know, the world can do what the world does. I mean, before we knew Christ, we had no hope. We heard that earlier of understanding what God's word says. But now that we've, we know Jesus, we can understand scripture. And why are we not different? Like, why are we not different? What good does it do if we gain everything but we lose our soul? I hope that you understand today that what God is doing is soul work, deep work. So I'm going to ask you to uh, join me in prayer today. And um, we're going to ask God to continue to do this work in us, and then we're going to partake of communion together. I'll explain that in just one second. Join me in prayer. Father God, we've come into your houses this week and the, the weeks coming up to this to learn more about who you call us to be in marriage. And, and Lord, as the Apostle Paul so frequently calls us to put away childish things and become adults, to become, to attain the fullness of Christ, we desire that for our marriage relationships. We desire it for the sake of our children for the sake of our, our friends around us, that we could truly have a restoring, healthy marriage that would give life to ourselves, give life to others, bring glory to you. 
And today, Father, where each of us are, uh, only we know and you know. But I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move us more kingdom-bound, more toward your purposes. And in everything that we hold on to for our way of right, or our, our purpose, or our plans, we would lay it down that we might fully know the goodness you have in store for us. And we will trust you with these things. We thank you for the hope that the Apostle Paul writes of. Um, we thank you for perseverance in times of difficulty. And we thank you uh, for a long-term vision of what you're calling us to be. May that be fulfilled, not by our power, but by the power of your Spirit. That we might be glorifying to you in everything. We pray these prayers, and we bind them up in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.